going to nerd out on surfing real quick because it is working into my message. But there is a south swell that was really big all this week that was like filling in on Sunday and then was supposed to last the whole week. So uh, you know a surfer if the if there's swell, then they just kind of disappear. So I was up early almost every morning and out the door, dark, and looking for waves everywhere I could. And it was everybody knew that there was waves, so it was packed everywhere. Um, it was really fun, but as, uh, as I was studying through this, one incident came to mind that, that's going to work in as, as kind of thinking about it and kind of seeing myself uh, in this story is we're, uh, it was on Thursday. So I had already surfed, I think every day that week in the morning. And then, uh, I went Thursday morning thinking, okay, everybody's had their fill. I should be able to find somewhere that's empty. And I, I didn't. And so I, I pulled up somewhere and I stared at it for probably 20 minutes. I'm looking off the bluff, staring at it, just tons of people, and I'm ta- trying to even talk myself into going because there's so many people. It's an ap- absolute zoo, and boards are everywhere, and I just don't like surfing in crowds. Uh, so I go out, and it's actually really fun, but the, the point I got to is I have a, and I don't know if uh, you can relate to this or not, but I have a super strong sense of justice, like it drives me nuts when I don't see justice served right away. Uh, it just like, I go crazy in my mind and I got to like kind of work through that. And this didn't even really happen to me, but if you, don't, if you don't know surfer etiquette, so if you're going, if the wave is going this way, then the guy who's the furthest this way has the right away. So it's basically like the car that's coming down the freeway. You don't just, just get in front of him. So you don't, that's called dropping in on someone. So you don't, if they're coming down the line, you're supposed to, before you go, you're supposed to look down and see someone's flying down so you don't drop on their head. Uh, And so I'm on the inside paddling back out and there's waves coming in and people are catching waves. And that's kind of sketchy because you aren't really mobile as you're paddling out. You're just getting through waves and they're coming in. And so it had been an uneventful morning. There was a nice vibe in the water. Everybody was cool. Everybody was having a good time. And then this one guy goes, he's coming down the line. So I'm watching him to make sure that we don't collide as I'm paddling out. And he's flying. And this other guy just drops right on him to where then he just gets wrecked. And as he's dropping in on him, he's really basically right on top of me. So I yell at him. And then duck diving is when you see those guys like push the board underwater and you kind of get everything underwater. So I yell so the guy doesn't run over my head and I get under and I come up and there's a ton of people. And just out of just like, whoa, I almost just got stitches in the head from that guy. I just, I think out loud, I said, yikes. And a bunch of guys around me were like, oh man. And it, it wasn't so much that he ran me over, but I was frustrated for the guy that just got burned by him. And then I noticed in me that thing of justice, like there needs to be like police out here. Somebody to be like, (laughs) all right, get out. You don't, you don't get to surf out here. And it totally like, for me, once stuff like that happens or once two guys yell at each other, 
the whole lineup out there, the mood changes. And that's why I don't like surfing in crowds because one knucklehead makes the whole thing different. So after that, I was like, oh man, I'm out of here. So I, I paddled in and got my waves somewhere else. But I have this strong sense that I want to see justice served and I want to see it right away. You know, you want to see as you see an incident or you go through something, you want to like, I want to see the fruit of that right now. And we don't want to, we don't want to wait for it. Right. Well, we're going to unpack that, uh, believe it or not in Genesis 10, as we go through it. Uh, how many of you have played the game, uh, desert Island where you like, Hey, what three books would you take to a desert Island? Anybody play that game before or what three movies? So it's just like a game if you're bored. So you have nothing else to do, I guess. And you have nothing else to talk about. Uh, so you say, hey, what three, what three books? If you're on a desert island, what three books would you take with you that there are only three books you could read? So I would bet you in the history of Christianity that if we played desert island with chapters in the Bible, that no one ever picked Genesis 10, which is what we're going to study tonight as their verse that they would take. It's another genealogy. Um, if you remember, we went through a genealogy in Genesis 5, so we're going to tackle another genealogy. But like Genesis 5, I say the desert island thing jokingly, there is really good stuff in Genesis 10. And also remember, uh, is it 2 Timothy 3.16? All scriptural, scripture is profitable. So there's there's a reason that this is in the canon. This is, there's a reason that this is in scripture that we can learn from it. And it's, it's going to point to a lot of things. So what we're going to do is, uh, I'm not going to read through it. You guys should see. So what I do is I copy, uh, the verse into a word document and you should see because it's all weird names. You know how word gives you like the red squiggly line. If it's misspelled, it was all red. Cause it's just all weird names. And then my heart like sank. Cause I have to pronounce all these weird names. Like I'm get, I get to sound like an idiot. So I'm not going to, we're not going to read through the whole thing. We're going to read through 10, but I'm going to kind of jump to these bullet points. And then what we're going to do is we're going to unpack, um, kind of the, the nuts and bolts of the verse. So the literary design, what it's setting up, the it's placement in scripture. And then, um, I think zoom out and kind of look at just, I'll tell you guys, just as a Bible study for me, what I drew out of this. So that's the adventure we're going to be on tonight. You down for it? You good? All right. Uh, So if you want to stand with me, this isn't going to be our conventional reading of the word because I'm skipping through a lot of stuff, Uh, but we need to read scripture because it is profitable. Um. So then we have Genesis 10. We're going to, it's, it's one through 32. That's a whole chapter. It starts off. This is the first bookend. These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. Then it goes through Japheth. Uh, he is verses two through five. And then we see verses six through, uh, da, 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 all the way down to 20. We see Ham so that runs all the way down. And then one important note we're going to see right here in verse 21, when we get to this is Shem who's saved for last, which I'll unpack that. Uh, verse 21 to Shem, also the father of all the children of Eber. So remember that or ever, however you say it. Um, 
And then also down 25 to ever were born two sons. The name of the one was Peleg, I think, uh, for in his days, the earth was divided. And then at the very end, we're seeing the book end verse 32. These are the clans of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies and in, in their nations. And from these nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. Um, that may seem really broken up, but we're going to unpack it all. But first let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for another day. Lord, we thank you for life. We thank you for your many blessings, so many that we overlook. Um, Lord, would you help us this evening as we just study your word together? Um, workmen who need not be ashamed as we're, we strive to rightly divide the word of truth. Lord, uh, Holy Spirit, would you guide us through this? Uh, would you guide me? Would you guide all of us as we study your word? Lord, as we read through something, uh, maybe even wondering why you would choose to put these genealogies in scripture. Lord, would you unpack that for us? Um, Lord, would you knit our hearts together as a, as a Sunday night, as we go through and, and study this together, that we would leave here, um, Lord, with new ideas, Lord, with our, our thoughts being expanded and being stretched and Lord, also actionable, uh, truth that we can act on out in this week. Lord, I, I can't do that on my own. I can't make all that stuff happen on my own. I am not, uh, that skilled a teacher, but Lord, I, I trust that through you, as we just simply read through this, that you are going to make that happen inside of all of us, uh, so we just ask that you would have your way this evening. Be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Go to have a seat. So Genesis 10, if uh, as always, we are, even, even when I try to go into detail, we are scratching the surface on all these scriptures because there's so much to unpack. As you guys all know, you can hear the same uh, single passage taught a thousand different times. The, the word of God doesn't get old. It doesn't get, well, been there, done that. So there's, I encourage you as always, we're going to go through this, but there's so much more to unpack. I encourage you to go back. If you've never studied Genesis 10, uh, it's a genealogy. So I think odds are a lot of us haven't studied it because we don't just immediately in the morning want to go to a genealogy and read a bunch of weird names. So I'm hoping that the Lord would even use me tonight to spark some interest and see what's being spelled out here. And I encourage you to go and study it uh, yourself. As our senior pastor said this morning, if this is the only time in the week that you're getting fed through scripture, it's not enough. That this is, this is a time where we get together as a family, we rub shoulders with each other and iron sharpens iron. But that iron is because you are at home and you are studying scripture and you are growing and chewing on that meat and meditating, and we're coming together and uh, helping each other get stronger. Amen? So keep studying through it. This is known, Genesis 10 is known. If you want to, you should go study. It's the Table of Nations. Um, that's why it's titled that way. So you can, you can look it up. And what's really interesting, if you've been here through the study of Genesis, you've heard me quite a few times referenced the ancient Near East text that we can look to text outside of scripture, not that we are relying on them. Scripture, scripture stands on its own, but we can see the culture of the time and it can help us understand 
scripture. But what's really interesting here is there's no uh, parallels outside that this is the, the table of nations. We don't find it in any other writing. So this is something that's unique uh, to scripture, which is really cool. Um, real fast. I want to show you, I don't have the clicker. So if you guys could put up the first slide and this is going to be, yep. I don't know if you can see it. That's as, that's as big as I could get it, but this is the unpacking. Um, I'm visual. This helps me a ton rather than just reading a bunch of names and places. So Shem, which is the yellow ham, which is the green and Japheth, which is the red. This is a representation of uh, where they all went to and how the, they were spread out and we're going to un- unpack that more, but you can see this. And then if, which this also helps me because I'm visual, if you go to the next slide, so that's current day, if you're terrible at geography as I am. So if you could, Dave, like switch back and forth a couple times. So that. So you're seeing Egypt, Libya. So that's Africa, Saudi Arabia. Um, you see up right in the middle there, the tiny little Jerusalem, Israel. See all that up there? So that's Israel up there. That's where the Canaanites end up. So that's real quickly. If you go back to the other one, that's this, um, and if you want this slide, I can email me or something. I can get it to, you, or you can just look it up. Table of nations that you see up top Genesis 10. So this is just unpacking really visually what we're seeing here. These are the places. This isn't your typical, um, genealogy, um, in the sense of what we covered in Genesis five, because this is going through, not just this, this guy had this guy who had this guy who had this guy. This is going through um, not only who the descendants are, but then where they went, their land. And it's, it's pointing us to this is how uh, the people are spread out. Remember, we're just coming off of the flood. So it is Noah and his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, right? And then if you remember, which this is going to be really important, is at the end of nine, remember Ham sees his father's nakedness and goes and tells his brothers and he's disrespectful. And then his brothers go put the cloak on backwards and they walk backwards. They cover Noah and Noah wakes up, realizes what his son had done to him. And he said, uh, curse be Canaan, which is a descendant of Ham. So that's all going to come into play here because Noah is asking the Lord to bless Shem, who is his firstborn through scripture. If you've noticed the order can be flipped around and how they're named. And so it's not named as we go through this list, we have Japheth first, right? And then we have Ham second, and then we have Shem last. This in itself is a literary design of that. Uh, The author is, is pointing to in a way, Get Japheth out of the way. He's the, le- the least crucial to this. Then Ham, who is the one who uh, sinned against his father. And then Shem, who's last, who is the firstborn, is the most important to the people of Israel, which we're going to unpack. Um, 
So there's, if you remember also in when we did our last genealogy, there's rhythms to these genealogies and through the rhythm of the genealogy, we can then see kind of flagposts of things we should pay attention to because it's things that break the rhythm. That makes sense. So you remember with Enoch, everything was normal and then it was, and then he died and then he died and then he died and we get to Enoch and then it didn't say that he died, but that the Lord took him. Right. So then that's a sign like this should jump out. So the same thing is happening here and I'll read through them with, uh, with Japheth. It ends with from these, the coastland people spread in their lands, each with his own language by their clan in their nations. Then Ham, verse 20, these are the sons of Ham by their clans, their language, their lands, and their nations. Shem, verse 31, these are the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. Uh, Like I said, Shem is the last one because he's the most important to what the author is trying to address. uh, Being Moses, trying to address to uh, the chosen people. Um. So we can see, we're going to go through really quickly. And like I said, unpack the, the nuts and bolts of this and then zoom out and give kind of, I'll give you just personally what, what I got out of it as studying. So Japheth, we're going to, no disrespect to him or scripture, but we're going to skip over him. Cause if you look at his, his is just names, right? It's just a list of names. And then how it ended in verse five from these, the coastline people spread in their lands, each with his own language their clans and their nations. So there's no breaks in there. So we're going to keep moving forward and get it to ham. And then ham, we see a break in where anybody see what's the name Nimrod, right? So not to get in the weeds, but quick note, do you guys remember when we did the super weird study on the Nephilim and the mighty men? Okay. So here Nimrod is called, He's the first mighty man after the flood, right? Uh, So let me get to that verse. Um, Is it eight? Oh, thank you. Cush father Nimrod. He was the first. Let me circle this. Come back to it. He was first on the earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it had said like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Eric, Akkad, See, I, these are terrible. Kalneh uh, in the land of Shinar. Okay, so if you write in your Bible, underlined Shinar or make a note because we are going to come back to that. There's a lot of this. We're only covering 10 tonight. Um, a ton of 10 is pointing to and will be resolved when we get to next week when we cover 11. Um, because I'll explain it as we go, but these are happening simultaneously. So we'll, we'll go through that. But we have this, this, this break at Nimrod. And the thing that I want to point out is first, he's, he's the first mighty man uh, who's pointed out in these descendants. And then how we read it, I don't know if you read it this way. I read it this way. Um, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. There it was said like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before, uh, before the Lord. To me, that makes it sound, again, this is a descendant of Ham, right? So this is someone who's not, shouldn't have like the greatest, like I was referring to before, we want to see justice, right? 
And so the first person who's a mighty man, who's ruling, who's, who's making these empires is a descendant of Ham. I don't like that. I don't know if like that doesn't bother you at all, but that, that bugs me. Like, well, why is that? And also this is the part I want to clear up is it says that he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. How, how that reads is that that's not, um, before the Lord, meaning that he is following the Lord. That is another translation is in the face of the Lord. He's defiant. So this is a, this is a mighty warrior. Um, whether you land on, he is the first Nephilim after the flood or not. Doesn't matter. It's clear that he said he's a mighty warrior. He's a mighty man who, who built these empires, these first empires after the flood And he is in defiance of the Lord. Uh, Josephus, if you guys know who Josephus is, the the Jewish historian, in his uh, book, Antiquities of Jews, uh, chapter four, he said of Josephus, he would be revenged on God if he should have a mind to drown the world again, for that he would build a tower too high for the waters to reach, and that he would avenge himself on God for destroying their forefathers. So this is someone, there's other commentators who say that um, Nimrod knows of his family history and is defiant of the, the curse laid on his lineage, is defiant and is, has so much pride welled up in himself and his mightiness that only was gifted to him by the Lord who's in control of everything is then going to defy the Lord and outlive and, and prove God wrong and is in complete defiance. So as you read that, understand that as it says before the Lord, that this is someone who is think of it in the face of the Lord, that this guy is defiant, disrespectful. And then he makes um, these kingdoms Babel. And then remember I said, uh, make a note of uh, Shinar. And then we get to um, Shem. Shem immediately in verse 21 to Shem, also the father of all the children of Eber. Now, if you look through the rest of that, Eber is not his or ever, however you say it, it's not his direct descendant, right? It's his great grandson. So this immediately should be a sign for us to pay attention. Something's happening here. And what that thing is, is this is, Again, pointing, if we zoom out and see the overarching story of scripture, this is pointing to the redemption of humanity, that this it's through Shem, that the line of, of Christ, it's that, uh, Abraham is going to come and it's even there's, um, again, you'll have to study this on your own, but own, but Eber is believed to be the root of the word for Hebrew that this is where, and Abraham was called a Hebrew and these are God's chosen people. So it's, it's giving us these flag posts, these signs of this. The Lord is in control of everything. Nothing's out of his hand. Nothing's catching him by surprise. And then he's already setting in place this redemption story, this redemption plan. And we're starting to see the signs of it as we move closer and closer and closer. And then in chapter 12, it's going to, expound even more. Remember I was saying we ha- we're on this trajectory of just humanity going downhill really quickly. 
And then we're, we are starting to see these signs, these flashes of hope of this redemption plan that the Lord is working through a chosen people on this earth. And if you remember, as we studied through Noah, um, it's easy for us to say that these were perfectly moral people. And we find ourselves in this struggle of that. I have to do better. I have to be a better person for the Lord to use me, which is not the story of the Bible. It's that Christ was, is the only good and perfect one. And that it's faith. It's through faith that we are given this grace that covers us, that we have the righteousness of Christ. So it was through faith that Noah was saved. It's the same way that we're saved. It's through faith. So it's not this morality, but it's that humankind is broken. And the Lord and his infinite wisdom is now beginning to, we're beginning to see, we're not there yet, but we're getting to see these signs of him going and in his infinite wisdom, pick a group of people to be his representatives on the earth that through them, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And that blessing is to totally give it away, but you all have a Bible is Christ. Right? So he's beginning this cosmic rescue mission and we're starting to see the signs here. Um, now the second thing, and this takes us to um, how these, how 10 and 11 are working together and super interesting. And if you haven't heard this, I hope it really helps you. We tend to read scripture uh, chronologically, right? So there's a lot of times where you'll go through a genealogy and where it leaves you off, we move forward from there, right? There's other times where we'll go through a genealogy and that's it. So that's, that's the story. Now let's go back and let's cover this person and let's go back and cover this person. And so we jump around and we have to study to know where we're landing. So if we read this chronologically, we would say then that here's all the nations Here's everything that happened. And then we get to chapter 11, which I don't want to go to in detail because that's next week, but we get to chapter 11 and everyone is in the same place with the same language, right? And if you know, chapter 11 is the tower of Babel and that's where the Lord disperses everyone because he confuses their language. And that's where it, it literally says, I think it's verse one is that everyone had the same language. So here's our first clue. This isn't chronological because remember if, as I read um, how each uh, the rhythm of the literary design is that they each had their own language. Uh, Japheth from these, the coastlands people spread in their lands, each with his own language by their clans and their nations. These are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, their nations. These are the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands and their nations. So as we go through this, languages have already been dispersed. So chapter 11 is we're going to go through this chronological order of genealogy in 10, which we're doing tonight. And then chapter 11 is actually happening in this story here. We're circling back and then going and seeing it. So it ha- where I believe it happens is with uh, that first line to Shem also the father of all the children of Eber. Remember, he's the one, he's the line that's going to come Abraham and that's going to be the chosen people line. And then verse 25 
To Eber were born two sons. So this is another break. So it's pointing out something important to us. We're born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, which I'm probably murdering that word. But this is what's important, whatever his name is. For in his days, the earth was divided. So there's all kinds of theories on this is like the continental drift. And this is where the continents break up. What I, I think just reading it, what the naturally comes out here is that it was here that the tower of Babel happened. It was here that the Lord confused the language of the people and he scattered them to the places that you saw uh, on that map. And you also see in the, in the beginning of 11. So it's, it's not only saying the beginning of 11, that they all had the same language, but that they moved eastward and they settled in Shinar, which remember I had you circle that Shinar is a, uh, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord, the beginning of the kingdom was Babel, the other weird ones in the land of Shinar. So they've settled. So Noah and his descendants uh, has as much of they, as they have um, grown, move eastward. They settle in Shinar. And that's where we see uh, Nimrod come to power of all of, at the time, everyone who was born and then we see his defiance before the Lord, the tower of Babel. And we're going we're to go through that next week. And then the confusion of the languages. And that's where we see this fully spreading out and the beginning of this is where all people are coming from. So if you're of European descent, you're like Japheth. He's your great, great grandfather up there, Turkey and, and whatnot. So we, we see these descendants. So this is the, the unpacking of the genealogy. Again, um, I hope that wasn't super dry for you. There's, I, we still have some spiritual stuff to take away from it. But I, like I said in the beginning, I hope this sparks some interest going through this, studying uh, a genealogy, probably the most intimidating type of scripture to study through there's, there's nuggets in there. And if you go and uh, read some commentaries or don't even need the commentaries, just read through. When I study for these uh, messages, these Bible studies, I try to, I mean, first I pray to the Lord, Lord, please direct me um, to have concise thoughts and to be articulate. And the next is just, I simply read through it and see what the Lord is speaking to me. And I'm not thinking about giving you something to fix you because I have my own problems and I'm thinking, fix me. And if you relate to my own problems and they help you, then awesome. Uh, but that's, that's how I read through. And so as you do that, even in genealogies, the word of God doesn't return void and that he's going to give you things through it. And it may be not the tangible, the first thing of like, wow, I'm really encouraged. I'm, I'm ready to go to work. It may be something of, I don't understand that. I'm going to dig into that and sparks your interest. And you start your own study for a week, two weeks. Doesn't matter. There's no, there's no time limit. And you study who Nimrod was. You study uh, why the, the order and, and all those different things. But regardless, um, I always feel like there's spiritual application. And like I said, for me, it's a Bible study. It's a personal Bible study for me. Um, one thing that I took away. It's amazing the, how good our God is and wise in that the ordering, even of the chapters that 10 comes before 11. You imagine if we read chapter 11, 
Imagine if they flipped. So chapter 11, we read it. Tower of Babel happens. The Lord brings confusion. Everyone's dispersed. And then we hear a genealogy. That genealogy sounds like nothing but punishment, right? Because the Lord came, confused their language, and then they, dis- they dispersed. And it sounds like nothing but judgment. But by placing it beforehand, we see not only the displeasure of the Lord, which is there, we'll find it in 11, but again, through the story of the fall, through the story of the flood, this constant theme of we see the Lord's mercy. To me, it points to his mercy. Then in the midst of all this, he's even, uh, we'll study this again more next week, but he's even fulfilling for us, fulfilling for us the calling that he put on our lives, specifically on Noah and his sons to fill the earth. And in 11, we're going to see that they don't want to fill the earth so that they wouldn't be dissipated, but they want to stay close. And so the Lord is through his hand guiding, even guiding disobedience is accomplishing his will. Isn't that awesome that we have this trust that even in our failures, even in wickedness that we see in the world, that the Lord is still accomplishing his grand plan, that it hasn't broken away, that we're not off course, but he, it doesn't change his approval or disapproval or uh, of what he thinks of things. We find that in his word, but in the midst of obedience and disobedience, how mighty he is, and I can't even wrap my mind around this, but through obedience and through disobedience, his plan is never broken and he's still placing the pieces where he needs them. So awesome. And the last one for me, the takeaway is, is the justice. Um, I'll tell you a quick story just because I think it unpacks more for me, just where my brain is at. I was, uh, when I was living in Valencia still, and I, me and my, I was living with roommates, so I wasn't married to Katie yet, but she was with us. And we, uh, we were at the mall and, uh, so I come, well, first to say this, I come from a family of law enforcement. So my grandfather was a captain with the sheriff's department. My dad, uh, was a lieutenant with the sheriff's department. So I think that's where I get my like very strong black and white justice injustice thing. Uh, so anyway, we're living in Valencia. We're leaving the mall. It's me and three buddies and Katie, who is now my wife. And we, as we're walking past these gir- this girl who's holding out her uh, phone, she's sending a text on it. And these two guys run by just full sprint and snag the phone out of her hand and keep running. So her, that girl's boyfriend or husband, whatever, takes off running. And we're just like right before us, whoa, what happened? So then we just keep going. We get in our car and already my blood's boiling. Like, like who does that? Like that stuff drives me crazy. So as for pulling out of the parking structure, the, that girl and her boyfriend are walking. So we roll down the window. We're like, Hey, what happened? And so she says, I mean, what we saw, they took my phone and the guy's like, I chased them, but I was like turning blind corners and I didn't want to get into trouble. So I eventually gave up. So we're like, Oh man, terrible. So one of my buddies leaves and it's me and my friend Mark in his car and Katie's in the back seat and we were driving home and 
me being a head case, uh, I am like eyes peeled everywhere. Just, I like, I want justice so bad. And then sure enough, as we're, our house is on the right, there's a shopping center on the left. And I see him, I was like, Mark, pull in there. And so such a good friend asks no questions. Doesn't like, has no idea what he's doing, but he pulls in and I was like right there. And he, I mean, like we were police officers, so dumb. Uh, he pulls, they're walking and he pulls right up to him, like almost hits him with the car. And again, he ha- we haven't sent a word other than I was like, Mark, pull in there. And I jump out of the car and all Katie is saying, she's like, stop, stop, please don't, please don't stop, stop. So I jump out of the car, not thinking at all. Like, I don't know what these two guys have or whatnot, but it was just this thing in me. You're just like, I cannot handle this. And so I get this from my dad. When my dad was like laying down the law, he had his his finger would be in your face. So as soon as I got out of the car, I had my finger up like this. And I was like, give me the phone, give me the phone. So one guy takes off running and the other guy who was too close to me, he couldn't run. And so my buddy's just playing backup. Um, and so he's like, I don't have it. I don't have it. So I immediately, my dad, this is a, he's still alive. So I call my dad. I was like, dad, I got this guy. He's like, that was it. He hangs up. He lives 15 minutes away. He was there in probably two seconds <laughs> so fast. So he gets there and, um, not a lot happens in Santa Clarita. So then a call goes out and there's like, five black and white cars, two sheriff SUVs. Like it looks like the biggest drug bust of Santa Clarita. And it's this guy stole a cell phone. Um, so then I'm talking with my dad, like I'm trying to make this long story short, but I'm, I'm talking with him. And then one of the deputies comes up to me and he's, uh, he's like, Hey man, we can't like good job, but we can't do anything. He's, uh, he's like, he didn't do anything to you. You can't press charges. We have no, there's nothing we can do. Like, sorry. And I was like, no, it's fine. It's just like something in me. Like I couldn't just drive by. So he's like, yeah, I I understand it. He's like, hold on. Let me see if anybody's calling anything into the office. So he gets on his phone. He comes back. He's like, Hey, there's actually a girl and her boyfriend in the office right now filing a complaint that her phone got stolen. So I was like, all right. So then they, another, like they come with like three more squad cars. They show up and they're getting like statements from everybody. And my dad's trying to help cause he's off duty sheriff. So he's dealing with all them. And then he, uh, he comes up to me. He's like, Hey, so, um, I'm, I'm still not sure what we're going to be able to do. So I, again, I was like, Hey, no worries. It's just, I couldn't drive by whatever you guys do from here on out is on you. I I'm fine. And so then he goes and talks to more people and he comes back to me and my dad and my buddy, Mark and Katie is still in the car panicking. Like what is happening? And he goes, guys, this is crazy. So they've pressed, they've pressed charges. He's 18. Like this is a, uh, it's aggravated assault because he took it off of her person. He's like, this is a felony. This is going to be a big deal. Like he's done. And then he was just like, the cop was just giving us kind of like the attaboy, like way to go. And that to me, so point of that whole story, it's just a weird story. Uh, but that to me was like, uh, like the relief of not that I, I guess I did wish 
ill on another person, but it was justice. Like I wanted to see justice happen. I wanted to see uh, the repercussions for actions and I wanted them to be immediate. And what's funny is that that's so silly. Like look at my own life. Repercussions for my actions aren't immediate, whether good or bad. They're not immediate. And to be honest with you, I'm really grateful for that. How How many of us want justice for our sins immediately? We don't really want that justice that quick, but if it's somebody else, we want justice really fast. We want it to be immediate. And for me, this chapter, chapter 10, just taking it by itself, not looking to the tower of Babel, just looking at this in itself, knowing what we're coming from in chapter nine, it bugged me that you see Canaan, who's specifically the one that Noah curses he has the most descendants in the list. He has 11. So these aren't like we breeze through this and read right past it. These are real people living real lives. How do you think that looked? So Ham's descendant Nimrod is defying the Lord and being successful. Canaan, who was specifically cursed by Noah, has the most, which this is a blessing, but has the most descendants at 11. How do you think that felt to Japheth, his descendants, Shem, his descendants? Awful, right? Like I would be, if I try to place myself in their position, I'm frustrated. Like, Lord, I think like a lot of what our pastor was talking about this morning, like, Lord, I don't get you. I don't know if I trust you right now because you're saying like this one thing. And that me living for you is going to be profitable for me and that that's the right thing to do. And then I also expect that, that those who live in wickedness are going to be punished and that um, we're just going to be better off following the Lord, right? We have this expectation and we have this expectation to see it immediately in this life that as soon as I do something good, that the Lord is going to tangibly reward me for something. And that somebody who does something bad, the Lord is going to tangibly punish them and take something away from them. Right. And it's silly that we, we fall into this, this trap. I don't feel as I was studying. I don't feel like an, I, I can unpack it better than Psalm 73. So turn with me. I'm going to read. We didn't read a lot of chapter 10, but I'm going to read all of Psalm 73 And tell me if this is not exactly, well, this is exactly how I would feel with what's going on in chapter 10. Verse one, Psalm 73, a Psalm of Asaph. Truly God is good to Israel, but to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Their pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. That's just funny that that's a good thing. Um, Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Lawfully, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongues strut through the earth. Therefore, as people turn back to them, uh, I mixed up here and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? 
Is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain, they have all, all in vain. I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generations of of your children. But when I thought of how to understand this, it seems to me wearisome, a wearisome task until I went to the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. So all this while he's saying, I don't get it. I struggle with it. It's frustrating until I went to the Lord and I discern their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall in ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes. O oh Lord, when you rose yourself, you despite them, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in the heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. And so now it's almost turning back. It's trusting in the Lord and then turning back on, whoa, I have wickedness in here. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory who I have in heaven, but you. And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength and my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near you. I have made the Lord God my refuge. Then I may tell of all your works. What did he learn? He learned that, look, I'm not going to see it right away. That the wickedness of humankind will prosper, will thrive at times. I'm not going to see it all the time. And then as he went and he consulted with the Lord, he sees his own wickedness. And then what does he land at that holds him fast, that holds him true? It's not that I'm going to have all these other things, but it's simply being near you is enough. Being near you is what I need. And I'm trusting in that. What does it say here at the end? But for me, it is good to be near you. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Look, no matter what's going on out here, I'm not going to see the repercussions of everything play out exactly like I want to see them. I'm not going to see the wickedness, receive wickedness right away. And I'm not going to see those who are living for the Lord receive all the good things right away. And this life is confusing and I don't get it all the time. But here's what I know is that being near the Lord is enough and he's my refuge. And I trust in him that he, even, though, even though I don't see it, that he sees the end and that we've been promised this end and that he is moving the pieces where they need to be. Like I was saying in the beginning that through obedience and through disobedience, the Bible is not as black and white as I want it to be. And all the good guys aren't good guys and all the bad guys aren't bad guys, but it's a mixed pot like this room where I have good moments and I have bad moments. I have moments where I'm pursuing the Lord and I have moments where I'm running away from the Lord. And I'm grateful that through obedience 
and disobedience that the Lord is proving faithful in the midst of my faithfulness and in the midst of my unfaithfulness, right? That we have this hope that he, his end is going to be accomplished and that we can trust in that, not in this immediate thing. It's this long game that we need to be looking for. It's this long game and, and get out of this microwave fast food thinking of Christianity that I have, that I want to see the, the rewards right now. And I want to see, Lord, as I do this, I want to see you explode it and turn into this. And it doesn't happen that way. This is our hope, Christian. That no matter what you are experiencing today, no matter what trial you may be experiencing today, that the Lord is faithful and that he's promised victory. And no matter what you see around you, whether it be wickedness that is thriving it doesn't matter. The Lord has proven and shown himself faithful that we know the wages of sin is death. And we know that ultimately that is going to happen. But our hope as believers is that through obedience and through disobedience, the Lord has proven faithful that he's clothed us in Christ's righteousness, that we can walk with reckless abandon in this life knowing that his hand is on us and guiding us. And that though we make mistakes, though we stumble, though we fall, he's has his hand on us and we're right where we're supposed to be. I don't remember what chapter we were unpacking, but what helps me visualize it is that when I look forward, it looks like hard work. It looks like faith in action to me. It looks like, I tangibly need to be trusting in the Lord and not just trusting him, but faith means action. So I need to be moving, but I know because I know me and I know, you know, you that through life, I know I'm making constant mistakes. But then what's amazing is my view changes. When I look backwards, knowing all the mistakes I've made, I look backwards and I see how everything has worked out to where now I am at this point. And I know I'm supposed to be where I am here. And I know I could never have accomplished that because I know how many heirs I have. So as I look back, I see the Lord's faithfulness and it points to that. I am not the one who's guiding me, that it's the Lord guiding me through obedience, through disobedience, that his grace and mercy is on me. And he's going to get me to where I need to go and not to be worried. Like we learned through the Psalm 73, not to be worried about these Lord, can I have, can I have my reward now? And will you reward, reward the wicked now? But okay, is my heart in a place where Lord, you're enough. I'm happy that I'm near you and that you're my refuge and how this life shakes out, how this situation shakes out, I'm okay with. Because the only thing that matters to me is that I'm near you.